You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com I am repeatedly asked by people who write into CorbettReport.com about, well, what things would I recommend to point people to? What pieces of information, what things would I say to people who are trying to wake some of their friends and relatives up, but are having a difficult time of it? And I always bristle a little bit at the question, because I'm not sure that there is a one-size-fits-all solution to your problems out there in waking people up to some of the information that we go over here on a regular basis on Corbett Report Radio, but I think it is important to give some sort of answer to that type of question, because I understand where it's coming from. Certainly, there are a lot of people out there who just don't want to look at the information because they're convinced that you're a crazy internet conspiracy theorist, and that all of the you have to back it up is just crazy ramblings from some blog somewhere. And it can be difficult to refute that sometimes if you don't know where to really begin or what documents to point people toward. So on that note, tonight on Corbett Report Radio, we are going to be taking a look at some some of the documents that I would rec- humbly recommend that everyone have in their info arsenal in order to fight this war for people's minds, which is going on right now and is continuing to proceed apace. And unfortunately, the other side has all the uh, the glossy t- television networks with their million-dollar sets and all of their fancy cameras and, and lighting and all of that to sell people on their propaganda. And all we have in the alternative media is the information itself, which really should sell itself because it is the truth. And the truth doesn't need to be sold to people nearly as much as the lies need to be sold. So tonight I'm going to suggest some some of the documents that I think that people might want to have up their sleeve so that they can pull out in a pinch. And of course this is going to be of necessity a a short list and by no means a complete list. And by no means is this a list that will work for everyone in every situation to work, wake up anyone to any issue. But it is at least the beginning of a conversation that I hope that we can begin to broach here on the broadcast about what types of documents and other other pieces of materials we can point people towards usefully if they are trying to wake up their friends, family, and neighbors. So uh, tonight I've picked out a few different documents. They run the range from... Um, from government-issued uh, documents to documents that, that somehow document in a first-hand type of way some of the, the things that we talk about here, talking about the uh, foundation, the tax-exempt foundations and their overreaches, talking about uh, the intelligence agencies and their overreaches, um, talking about some of the, uh, the dirty tricks and other things that are played by some of the intelligence agencies, talking about some of the dirty plans that the uh, U.S. military have had and exec- almost executed in the past that we, uh, that we know about anyway. And there's a lot out there on these issues. So I, uh, I have a few, as I say, ideas for uh, what I would like to, to introduce people to. If you have your own ideas, of course, I'm always game to hear what they are, so you can always contact me through CorbettReport.com, and where are my manners? I haven't introduced myself for this evening. Of course, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and I am coming to you as every night from the very 
exceptionally sunny climes of western Japan, and it really is a beautiful, sunshiny day today. So I'm hoping that wherever you are in the world, whenever you're listening, you have your pen and paper ready, because we're going to go through some some interesting suggestions for you tonight. And if you don't have that pen and paper ready, don't fret. We have the links for you to all of these documents that I'm going to go over at CorbettReport.com slash radio. So on that note, let's let's head into our first break, and when we come back, we'll start going through some of these documents. So sit right there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, friends. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we are going over some documents that I think it would behoove all of you out there to have up your sleeve for those situations where you are trying to wake someone up to one or another aspects of this New World Order paradigm, and you want to show them the, the documents themselves that hopefully will change their minds and wake them up. But as I say, that uh, waking up process is a very... Very particular one, and it's unique to each individual, so I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all solution, and sometimes, no matter how much information you lay out in front of someone, they're simply not going to choose to look at that information. Whether that is a conscious or unconscious decision, they're going to simply turn off their mind, and uh, there's not much you can do when someone turns off their mind. You can lead that horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. So I hope that uh, that some of these documents will be effective for those of you out there who are looking to provide some of this uh, information to others. But we can't always um, we can't always guarantee such. So let's uh, keep those provisos in mind. But let's move on to some of these documents that I recommend that everyone out there at least takes a look at for themselves and hopefully saves away and stars, stores away on their hard drive, as we were talking about last week on the program, saving physical copies and hard copies and local copies of your information. I hope you'll do so with at least some of these reports. So first up tonight, let's talk about a report that I often cite in, at the very least, a roundabout way, and that's the Reese Committee, which more formally was known as hearings uh, into the Special Committee to Investigate Tax-Exempt Foundations and Comparable Organizations, which was a House of Representatives, a Congressional Committee report that was issued in 1954. And I often cite this while talking about the testimony of a man named Norman Dodd. And Norman Dodd was interviewed back in the 19, early 1980s, I believe, by G. Edward Griffin of Freedom Force International and author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. And I'm sure someone who doesn't need much of an introduction to most of the listeners out there. But if so, well, please check into G. Edward Griffin. He's been a guest on my program, so that might be a good starting point. But uh, in the 1980s, he interviewed Norman Dodd, who at the time was a very aging um, member of this House of uh, the Committee that was looking into the tax-exempt foundations. And um, I always, uh, as many times as possible, direct people back to that interview because it is such a fascinating piece of history and piece of the puzzle that we certainly don't get on a regular basis in any other medium. So I'm glad that that is still up there on YouTube and widely available on the net. And I always put people uh, who haven't uh, yet checked that out into the position where I ask them, I beseech them, please check that out. Please save a copy of that video. I think it's a very important historical document. And he, in that interview, talks about uh, some pretty incredible stuff, including the fact that this congressional committee managed to get access 
to the actual meeting minutes of the Carnegie Corporation from its inception in 1908. So this foundation that has had such a huge effect in shaping the education and uh, other policies of the United States uh, at the federal level through its uh, tax-exempt foundation status and its incredible wealth and its influence uh, has done some pretty remarkable and pretty horrifying things with that power and influence. And Norman Dodd was able to detail that in, in quite a bit degree of detail because he did have access to those meeting minutes. And it's quite uh, startling to hear what they were talking about and the way they were talking about it directly from the person who got access to those minutes. Norman Dodd was the head researcher for this Reese committee, so he was in the position to know what it was all about. But let's talk a little bit in more depth about what the Reese Committee was and what it ended up concluding. So let's turn, for example, to oldthinkernews.com, which had a nice summary in July of 2008 under the headline, The Reese Committee, Social Science as a Tool for Control. And it reads in part, quote, In 1954, the Reese Committee, chaired by Carol B. Reese, produced its findings regarding the influence of tax-exempt foundations in the field of education. The report also briefly mentions their influence in politics, propaganda, social sciences, and international affairs. The Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, Carnegie Foundation, and others were discussed during the committee hearings. The Reese Committee was smeared by the media and by John D. Rockefeller III himself as being wholly inaccurate, but historical hindsight gives us a perspective that shows what the committee found is far closer to the truth than Rockefeller would have you believe. A predominant theme found in the committee's findings is the desire of the foundations and those behind them to create a system of world governance. The use of propaganda and social engineering was identified as a means to an end to achieve this goal. In 1932, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation, Max Mason, stated that the social sciences will concern themselves with the rationalization of social control. The committee cited a report from the President's Commission on Higher Education, published in 1947, which outlines the goals of social engineering programs. The realization on the part of the people of the necessity of world government, psychologically, socially, and politically. The cited report states, quote, In speed of transportation and communication, and in economic interdependence, the nations of the globe are already one world. The task is to secure recognition and acceptance of this oneness in the thinking of the people, as that, as that concept of one world may be realized psychologically, socially, and in good time, politically. It is this task in particular that challenges our scholars and teachers to lead the way toward a new way of thinking. There is an urgent need for a program of world citizenship that can be made a part of every person's general education. It will take social science and social engineering to solve the problems of human relations. Our people must learn to respect the need for special knowledge and technical training in this field, as they have come to defer the, to the expert in physics, chemistry, medicine, and other sciences. Ren, Rene A. Wormser, author of the book Foundations, Their Power and Influence, served as counsel for the committee. Wormser discussed the investigation of the social sciences on the part of the foundations, such as the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations, and the influence that they wield. Mr. Wormser, Professor, back to this term social engineering again. Is there not a certain presumption or presumptuousness on the part of social scientists to consider themselves a group of the elite 
who are solely capable and should be given the sole opportunity to guide us in our social development? They exclude, by inference, I suppose, religious leaders and what you might call humanistic leaders. They combine the tendency toward the self-generated social engineering concept with a high concentration of power in that interlocking arrangement of foundations and agencies, and it seems to me you might have, you might have something rather dangerous. And it goes on in this article to continue talking about the Reese Committee and its findings. And there are some startling findings there, not only with regards to the social engineering aspects that uh, that Daniel Taylor is highlighting in this Old Thinker News article, but some of the other findings as well. And they are available because they are linked up rather handily, helpfully, in this article itself. So there's a picture of the front page of the hearings report, and if you click on that picture, you will get the Scribd.com link directly to the document itself. So you can go and read through the findings of the Reese Committee. It is there in black and white, this official government Congressional Commission document from 1954. And it is there for your perusal. So that is a pretty remarkable resource to have at your fingertips. Once again, I hope that people will go there and at the very least take a look at it. And while you're there, you can find a link to some of the other addendum-type documents that are uh, associated with this Reese Committee finding, including the final report of Norman Dodd specifically to the Reese Committee. As I mentioned, Norman Dodd was one of the, uh, the head researchers for the committee, and in his summary to the committee, he wrote some pretty interesting things, for example, about the Ford Foundation and uh, their some of the uh, the fa- uh, facets of what they were up to with their money. And then in the end, uh, he writes in his conclusion that uh, it seems incredible that the trustees of typically American fortune-created foundations should have permitted them to be used to finance ideas and practices incompatible with the fundamental concepts of our Constitution. Yet there seems evidence that this may have occurred. I assume it is the purpose of this inquiry to gather and weigh the facts. So that was the uh, head researcher for the uh, Reese Committee giving his report, and uh, just a pretty incredible piece of information history there. Once again, it is there in black and white for people to look through hundreds of pages of testimony and evidence talking about the ways that the tax-exempt foundations have been using their power, money, and influence over the centuries, really, and it's now been over a century since the uh, the tax-exempt foundations came into existence, to shape American society. And as Dodd points out, for example, in his interview with G. Edward Griffin, that included such things as steering the United States into World War I, taking over the U.S. State Department, and monopolizing the the education of American youth by creating a grant system uh, for basically cornering the market, as it were, on the American history uh, teaching profession, which they all managed to accomplish and was all detailed in, uh, in black and white in the meeting minutes of the Carnegie Foundation. So again, some pretty startling things that came out of this. And unfortunately, as that Daniel Taylor uh, Old Thinker News article notes, the Reese Committee was r- roundly denounced and ultimately derailed and smeared by its pr- opponents, of course, uh, John D. Rockefeller III, foremost among them. 
And like many other pieces of information that have come out along the way, it got buried under the rug somewhere. But uh, all you have to do to remove that rug is to go and follow the links that are provided in the show notes for tonight's episode that will be up in a few hours at CorbettReport.com slash radio. So once again, I hope you're going to make use of these links. It is there in black and white. And this is part of that history, that hidden history that has been uncovered, and uh, sometimes we try to reinvent the wheel and put all the pieces back together. I'm here to tell you that's not necessary because because of the wonders of the internet, it is right there at your fingertips. Let's take another short break. We'll be right back with more documents to put in your info arsenal right after this. Welcome back to the program, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Here we are on this Tuesday night edition of the broadcast, and we are going over some documents that I would like to bring to people's attention that are perfectly widely available online for you to download and to save to your local hard drive so that it doesn't go missing one day off of the internet that spell out in black and white many of the things that we talk about here on the program. But we have a caller on the line. We have Eric in Michigan, so let's go to Eric. Eric, thanks for calling in tonight. Thank you, James. I really am uh, honored to be able to speak with you. Uh, Okay, I uh, discovered a few years ago a fellow by the name of Tom Cryer, a tax attorney, I think, from Louisiana. And he discovered, after reviewing the statutory code, that uh, he was not taught the truth uh, regarding taxation in law school. So he stopped paying his uh, fraudulent income tax. The IRS uh, dogs came after him. He went to court. He beat him. He then produced a 110-page memorandum of law uh, it used to be uh, TeaPartySquare.org. Joel Bannister and Sherry Lee Jackson knew him very well. And if the 110-page memorandum of law is not available uh, at TeaPartySquare.org, hopefully it's available at Truth Attack, which is one of Joel Bannister's sites, TruthAttack.org. I don't actually have a computer, so I don't know uh, if it's there. Uh, the other thing I want to call to your attention is uh, somebody by the name of Menard, M-E-N-A-R-D, did a documentary called Security of the Person. Security of the Person. Uh, and what I have on good, uh, good credible advice is that uh, since there's no gold or silver backing the infamous fiat, that currency Federal Reserve System, what is backing it is the uh, monetized birth certificates that are registered security assets through the Department of Commerce, and that's why there's the need for the death certificate, because it cancels that account that was established with everyone's birth certificate as a registered security asset that carries either a million or multi-million dollar value. And so Menard's documentary, Security of the Person, is supposed to go into all that. 
Right. Well, I I am familiar with Menard's work. In fact, I played Bursting Bubbles of Government Deception, one of his other documentaries, on my uh, podcast, and I interviewed someone who worked with him on that documentary. So I am definitely familiar with Menard's work, and I hope that uh, people will check into those concepts. But on the note of Tom Cryer, I know the name, but I haven't really uh, read his stuff myself. Do you have like a a title or something that people can search for to to find that memorandum? Gosh, you know, I wish I did. all, all I've got is the info that I gave out, and he died rather mysteriously this year sometime. Joe Bannister, uh, truthattack.org is one of his sites. Um, he would know, I'm sure, about that. Absolutely. Right. Well, I, I'm certainly has. familiar with Joe Bannister, and I'm familiar with Shirley Jackson, so hopefully I can get one of them on to talk more uh, in depth about that. Oh, and I'll, that would, absolutely. That be, last thing I want to ask you, when you, whenever you can, I'd like you to reveal whether what I heard about uh, the attempted murder of Gabrielle Giffords and the murder of the judge had had something to do with the fact that she had secured funding to secure the borders uh, with either retired or uh, returning special forces vets. And then the judge who was murdered had begun to issue uh, extradition arrest warrants either on government operatives of the CIA's drug smuggling operations or the and or the drug lords down there. And purportedly that was the cause for for that whole event. Right. I heard that the judge was on the brink of basically blowing Operation Fast and Furious sort of wide open, so he was kind of the real target of what was going on there. But uh, but again, well, yeah, I think there's a lot to be explored there. Well, thank you so much for that, Eric. I'm definitely going to be looking you, into that Tom Cryer uh, memorandum and see if I can post a link for people. Thank you, Jim. All right, thank you. All right, there goes Eric in Michigan. Thank you uh, for that. And uh, if anyone else has any suggestions, you can get in 1-800-313-9443. But let's move along with some of our own suggestions. Um, I'd like to point people to the actual report of the COINTELPRO investigation, the Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Activities of the United States Senate. Issued in April of 1976, and again, the text of this is all available online. Some pretty incredible stuff, and we often talk about COINTELPRO here in the alternative media, and people have a sense of what COINTELPRO was and how it functioned, but until you actually read the findings of this report in black and white and know what the government itself admits was going on in the name of COINTELPRO, you don't really have a sense of what this program was. Of course, it is the uh, the FBI acronym for a series of covert action programs directed against domestic groups, as this uh, report makes clear, but some of the things that they were admittedly on the record doing in the pursuit of this COINTELPRO operation are pretty mind-blowing, and it, again, it helps to have it there in black and white from the government's own mouth, as it were. So once again, we are going over some documents and other suggestions that you should have in your info arsenal when you are trying to wake people's wake people up from the matrix. So let's take another short break. We'll be back with a nice long segment to continue going over some of these documents. So sit, sit right there. We'll be right back. 
I'm sick of this damn noise, the paranoid android Poised at the edge of the precipice Sanity is gradually becoming my nemesis Like Glenn Beck was my therapist Yes, it sounds pebbleist Governments and Welcome back to the program, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we are going over some documents that I recommend that you have up your sleeve in order to uh, to shed some light on some of the issues that we talk about here for people who are skeptical. And by all means, I think people should be skeptical of this information until they read it for themselves and read what is completely openly and on the record admitted by some of these agencies that we are always accusing of nefarious uh, purposes and, and uh, schemes. And here it is in black and white from the government's own investigations. You can't get a more uh, reliable source for the uh, the average person out there who doesn't want to trust crazy conspiracy theories on the internet. Well, how about if we get it from the government's own reports? So tonight I'm directing your attention to some of these reports, and just before the break, I was mentioning the uh, final report of the Select Committee to Study Governmental Operations with Respect to Intelligence Activities, aka the report on COINTELPRO, which was issued in April 1976, and contains some startling revelations about that program. So again, just reading from the opening of that document, it says... COINTELPRO is the FBI acronym for a series of covert action programs directed against domestic groups. In these programs, the Bureau went beyond the collection of intelligence to secret action defined to disrupt and neutralize target groups and individuals. The techniques were adopted wholesale from wartime counterintelligence and ranged from the trivial, mailing reprints of Reader's Digest articles to college uh, college administrators, to the degrading, sending anonymous poison pen letters to break up marriages, and the dangerous, encouraging gang warfare and falsely laboring, labeling members of a violent group as police informers. And so let's take a look at some of this that, again, is documented here in this uh, in this report, and it goes into some degree of detail about specifically what was done and how it was done. Uh, for example, it says that the purpose of this program was, in, in plain language, maintaining the existing social and political order. It says, quote, protecting national security and preventing violence are the purposes advanced by the Bureau for COINTELPRO. There is another purpose for COINTELPRO, which is not explicit, but which offers the only explanation for those actions which had no conceivable rational relationship to either national security or violent activity. The unexpressed major premise of much of COINTELPRO is that the Bureau has a role in maintaining the existing social order, and that its efforts should be aimed toward combating those who threaten that order. You don't get much more blatant than that. That's a pretty startling sentence, so I will leave it to you to go and reread that sentence on your own time, because I think that is very, very revealing, especially coming, again, from a Senate uh, Congressional Committee inquiry into the FBI and the types of things it was doing. But talking about some of the techniques that they uh, employed in this, they say, for example... uh, The Bureau recognized that some techniques were more likely than others to cause serious physical, emotional, or economic damage to the targets. Any purpose uh, proposed use of the techniques was scrutinized carefully by headquarters supervisory personnel in an attempt to balance the greater good to be achieved by the proposal against the known or risked harm to the target. If the good was sufficient, the proposal was approved. Yes, well, I'm sure that was a very uh, calm and even-handed a proposal uh, process by which everything was looked at in a, in a calm manner, and it was rationally decided upon. 
And um, it was talking about some of the techniques they were employing, like, uh, for example, snitch jacketing is something that comes from this uh, document, the the practice of labeling someone to be a police member, uh, an undercover operative, when he isn't, just uh, labeling him as such in order to sow discontent, discord within the ranks, and potentially get him killed by some of his uh, other members in his uh, in his social group who are wary of government involvement. So um, some of these techniques, like snitch jacketing and poison pen letters, etc., again, we would have to be absurdly naive to think that just because this particular COINTEL program that was exposed in this 1976 document doesn't exist under that name anymore, that they're not still doing it. And of course it comes out time and time and time and time and time again that all of these all of these hate groups across America, etc., etc., that the FBI is supposedly keeping an eye on, in fact, is usually led by, created by, and funded into existence by the FBI, exactly as we've been going over in previous episodes of this broadcast, how the FBI has repeatedly created and funded into existence every every single terror threat that they have supposedly busted since the war on terror paradigm came into existence after 9-11. So, uh, so again, the COINTELPRO report, extremely important piece of history, and uh, one that you can point people to in black and white, and they can read it for themselves. So I suggest that you do so. Moving right along, let's take a look at another pretty blockbuster report to come from within the ranks, uh, quite literally in this case, from an army document. From 2004, this is called the Taguba Report, and uh, let's take our cue from Wikipedia, because why not? The Taguba Report is the common name of of an official Army Regulation 15-6 military inquiry conducted in 2004 into the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse. Lieutenant General Ricardo Sanchez, the senior officer in Iraq, appointed Major General Antonio Taguba to open an Army Regulation 15-6 investigation into the conduct of the 800th Military Police Brigade. According to the report, the inquiry was initiated because LTG Sanchez requested an investigation of detention and internment operations by the brigade from the 1st of November 2008, sorry, 1st of November 2003 to present. LTG Sanchez cited reports of detainee abuse, escapes from confinement facilities, and accountability lapses, which indicated systematic problems within the brigade and suggested a lack of clear standards, proficiency, and leadership. Well, that sounds like a pretty bland opening to such an explosive document. So I would suggest people go and follow the link that I'll provide to the document itself, the actual Taguba report, this Army Regulation 15-6 military inquiry into prison abuse at Abu Ghraib to find out what was really going on at Abu Ghraib. And this is a family show, and it is not really meant to uh, to delve into particularly graphic areas, but I'm afraid it is sometimes necessary as uh, this report is detailing some very, very disgusting things that went on at Abu Ghraib that I think it serves the the American public's uh, interest to know went on because a lot of people want to shut their eyes to this and don't even want to know what went on there so that they can continue to believe that, well, it's for the greater good and, yeah, we might have have done something to these uh, Muslims, but they probably deserved it anyway. Well, of course that's a lie, and especially when you start looking into how a lot of the detainees ended up at Abu Ghraib 
Habib through basically uh, operations to sweep up people wholesale in various areas. But uh, but let's at, let's take a moment and actually go through some of the things that this Taguba report reveals. And once again, it is uh, not exactly G-rated. So if you have any children in the room, etc., I suggest you uh, stop listening or close your ears for a moment as we go over this. But uh, in this report, uh, Taguba finds that the intentional abuse of detainees by military police personnel included the following acts. A. Punching, slapping, and kicking detainees jumping on their naked feet. B. Videotaping and photographing naked male and female detainees. C. Forcibly arranging detainees in various sexually explicit positions for photographing. D. Forcing detainees to remove their clothing and keeping them naked for several days at a time. E. Forcing naked male detainees to wear women's underwear. F. Forcing groups of male detainees to masturbate themselves while being photographed and videotaped. G. Arranging naked male detainees in a pile and then jumping on them. H. Positioning a naked detainee on an MRE box with a sandbag on his head and attaching wires to his fingers, toes, and penis to simulate electric torture. F. Writing, I am a rapist on the leg of a detainee alleged to have forcibly raped a 15-year-old fellow detainee and then photographing him naked. J. Placing a dog chain or strap around a naked detainee's neck and having a female soldier pose for a picture. K. A male MP guard having sex with a female detainee. L. Using military working dogs without muzzles to intimidate and frighten detainees and in at least one case, biting and severely injuring a detainee, S taking photographs, uh, sorry, M taking photographs of dead Iraqi detainees. And unfortunately, it goes on from there. In addition, several detainees also described the following acts of abuse, which under the circumstances I find credible based on the clarity of their statements and supporting evidence provided by other witnesses. A. Breaking chemical lights and pouring the phosphoric liquid on detainees. B. Threatening detainees with a charged 9mm pistol. C. Pouring cold water on naked detainees. D. Beating detainees with a broom handle and a chair. E. Threatening male detainees with rape. F. Allowing a military police guard to stitch the wound of a detainee who was injured after being slammed against the wall in the cell. G. Sodomizing a detainee with a chemical light and perhaps a broomstick. H. Using military working dogs to frighten and intimidate detainees with threats of attack, and in one instance actually biting a detainee. Now, unfortunately, this report goes into some degree of detail about these charges and the types of incidents that occurred at Abu Ghraib. And once again, it is here in black and white in the Army's own investigation, and it is some pretty sick stuff. So I know that it's not the most pleasant type of information to look at, but then again, none of this really is. But we can't turn away from it just because it's unpleasant to think about. We have to know what went on in these various places, and especially for Americans out there in the crowd, what went on in your name and uh, through the support of your tax dollars that funds the American war machine. And so some pretty graphic, disgusting things. And 
people wonder what it is that enrages a lot of the world uh, when they hear about these types of things. Well, it's, uh, it's because you don't hear about these types of things at home. This never gets reported on in the, uh, in the, the mainstream media, which did break the Abu Ghraib scandal eventually after the <coughs> pictures came to light. But, um, but none of the details, really, about any of the circumstances behind those infamous photos or some of the other things which this report concludes did actually occur, including some really horrific things there, talking about uh, what was done with the acid inside of these chemical lights, etc. Anyway, some very disturbing things from that report. But uh, let's move on to a completely different, I suppose, degree of disturbing report. This one came out in May of 2001 on ABC News, and it didn't make a lot of uh, attention, didn't get a lot of attention at the time. It got a bit of attention, but not as much as it probably should have, but it certainly got a lot of attention in the wake of 9-11, which occurred just four months later. And in this May 1st, 2001 article, ABC News ran with the headline, U.S. military wanted to provoke war with Cuba. Quote, in the early 1960s, America's top military leaders reportedly drafted plans to kill innocent people and commit acts of terrorism in U.S. cities to create public support for a war against Cuba. Codenamed Operation Northwoods, the plans reportedly included the possible assassination of Cuban emigres, sinking boats of Cuban refugees on the high seas, hijacking planes, blowing up a U.S. ship, and even orchestrating violent terrorism in U.S. cities. The plans were developed as ways to trick the American public and the international community into supporting a war to oust Cuba's then-new leader, communist Fidel Castro. America's top military brass even contemplated causing U.S. military casualties, writing, We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba, and casualty lists in U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. Details of the plan are described in Body of Secrets, a new book by investigative reporter James Bamford about the history of America's largest spy agency, the National Security Agency. However, the plans were not connected to the agency, he notes. The plans had the written approval of all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and were presented to President Kennedy's Defense Secretary Robert McNamara in March 1962, but they apparently were rejected by the civilian leadership and have gone undisclosed for nearly 40 years. And here they go surfacing just five months before 9-11-2001. That's a pretty amazing thing, considering some of the details of this plan to stage fake terrorism on U.S. soil in order to blame America's political enemies. Well, some of those plans were eerily similar to what took place on 9-11, including the plan to uh, send up a remote control plane and shoot it down and take it down over uh, uh, over the Atlantic in order to blame on Cuba and uh, blowing up places and things in Washington and starting a wave of terror there in order to get people behind this would-be invasion of Cuba. Some pretty incredible ideas that, once again, were signed off on by the Joint Chiefs of Staff all the way up to the uh, the President's uh, um, Department of Defense uh, and the, the DOD chief, 
McNamara, and we're waiting for basically uh, the JFK's go-ahead, and they could have and would have been implemented. Pretty incredible to think about. And here's the incredible thing. They are, these documents, the Operation Northwoods declassified documents, are there online in their entirety for you to download and read at your leisure. Uh, A pretty incredible treasure trove of information that really details the black and white inner workings of a false flag operation and the types of plans they had in place. Again, there's some mind-blowing stuff that was suggested in these documents that you can't even begin to imagine the level of uh, detail of the planning that goes into something like this. And this is just the the working plans. They hadn't even really uh, uh, finalized or honed down what their, their ultimate plan was going to be at this point. So lots of incredible ideas being bandied about. Once again, here it is. Here's the document. You can actually da- download this unclassified Joint Chiefs of Staff document, the memo to uh, Secretary of Defense McNamara, with all of the accompanying information, and it is there at your fingertips. So once again, we live in a pretty incredible age where this information, which even if it had have been unclassified uh, 20, 30 years ago, it would have been an extremely lumbersome and time-consuming and money-consuming process to go to the archives and to to get the document and to to work on it. Now it is literally available. It is one click away from you as I speak to you today. So these types of documents I'm going to put forward, it is important that we collect them and that we uh, we save them to our local hard drives, etc., so that we do have something in the case of uh, internet scrubbing, the, the memory hole. And uh, I, I've already found that to a certain extent with some of these documents. For example, the Taguba document is no longer available from the Department of Defense website. That's been scrubbed. Now you have to go to npr.org in order to get a copy of this Taguba report. So once again, these documents are disappearing appearing from the web gradually so it does definitely serve your interest to follow the links that again will be available at corbettreport.com radio so that you can go and download these for yourself while they are still available to you on that note let's take our final break and we'll be back to wrap up tonight's program right after this Okay, friends, here we are in the final moments of tonight's broadcast. You have been listening to Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we've been going over some documents that I'd recommend that people have up their sleeves and save for themselves at any rate, even if not specifically for the purpose of waking up others. But I think that these types of documents, well, again, everyone's different. Everyone has their own uh, issues that they're interested in and different ways that they can be more effectively uh, told about this information, but... For myself and my own preferences, I like to see these types of source documents, and I like to see it in black and white. What has the government itself said about these things? What is admittedly and absolutely incontestably on the record? And uh, some of the things that that are already on the record record are startling enough. That uh, there's no there's no need if somebody is saying oh you've just got blogs crazy blogs out there to support what you're saying there's no need for that if we have the documents themselves 
And it's it's really incredible just how freely available a lot of these documents are, considering just how difficult it would have been to get your hands on them even a sh- few short years ago. But now they are widely available online, thanks to the miracles of this internet revolution, which certainly has its drawbacks, as we've been going over on this program for the last couple of weeks, but it has its bright sides too. And we have at our fingertips access to more information than any other person at any other time in history, including even former presidents of the United States or former emperors or or whatever you uh, whatever you might uh, think about going back in time. Those people had access to to great amounts of information, but certainly we have so much more. We have all of this documents uh, available online. So let's start making the most of it. So tonight we've gone over some suggestions for what I think people should uh, should look at the uh, the Reese Committee report, the Dodd report to the Reese Committee, the COINTELPRO documents, the Taguba report, the Operation Northwoods documents, and uh, we've had the the caller co- call in to t- suggest the Tom Cryer memorandum, which I'll look into and hopefully have more for you on in a future edition of this broadcast. And I have no doubt that we'll be returning to this topic time and again, because, again, we've only gone over four or five documents tonight, but there are dozens and dozens and dozens more on all sorts of different topics that are equally incredible and equally must have in your info arsenal. So I'm sure we will return to this time and again in the future. And on that note, I am always interested in hearing from you out there about your own suggestions and ideas along these lines. So if you have a suggestion for a document that you think should go in a future installment of this series, well, by all means, let me know. Uh, CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. And you can contact me through the contact form there and send along your suggestions. And if you uh, provide a link, that will make it even easier for me to to find what you're uh, trying to direct me towards. So once again, I want to thank you all for for listening for tonight, and I certainly hope that this is uh, useful for you. And even if you've uh, heard of these documents before, it can still be useful to have the actual link to get them so that you can download them and save them to your hard drive. Again, that is the important part about browsing and, uh, and not taking this internet for granted because certainly documents are being scrubbed. And as I say, even the Taguba report that we went over today has already been scrubbed from the DOD website, and you have to download it from npr.org. So who knows how long that link will last. Download it for yourself. Make sure that it does not ever get extinguished from the Internet. And uh, together we can really, truly start building up an incredible arsenal of documents in order to wield in our fight for cognitive liberty and freeing people from the Matrix. But on that highfalutin note, I'm going to leave you there for tonight. We are fresh out of time, so I'm once again looking forward to talking to you all again here on the broadcast tomorrow night. That's 23 hours from now, same time, same channel. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. So once again, thank you all for listening tonight, and take care.